0: All right, welcome folks. Welcome back to Larger, Freer, More Loving. As always, I'm Matt Levine. I'm Dwight Lewis. Uh, last time we talked with intersectional indigenous activists, Desiree Kane and Dewanda Huita Aldrich, about indigenous ju- injustice, land reparations, and U.S. naivete. In this episode, we're gonna be talking about black masculinities. And we'll begin by talking about the black male experience, particularly in academia, as a means of defining Tommy's man-not, and the multiplicitousness of Black masculinities. Following that, we're going to apply this knowledge as a critique of intersectionality with the hopes of propelling intersectionality towards new growth and understanding. And for that conversation today, we've got two scholars that do fantastic research on Black maleness, Tommy Curry and John Youngblood. And we're just gonna start off by uh, having them introduce themselves, uh, starting with John and then Tommy.
1: Okay, I I thank you for having me on your show. My Name is John Youngblood, I'm associate professor in the English and Communication Department at State University of New York. I have to admit that I am happy to be here but I don't feel that I'm worthy of being on the same stage with Dr. Tommy Curry. I'll put that out there right now and I'll be more than happy to explain why that's the case during the process of this interview.
2: Thanks for being here, Dr. Youngblood. Tommy. Dr. Youngblood, uh, that was surprising and I'm extremely humbled uh, by the compliment. Uh, My name is Dr. Tommy Curry. I'm a professor of philosophy. Uh, I hold a personal chair in Africana Philosophy and Black Male Studies. Uh, at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, most widely, I think I'm known for uh, my publication of The Man Not* uh, and creating a theoretical paradigm that, is currently, that currently goes under the moniker of black male studies.
0: Awesome,
3: thank you so much for being here, Tommy. Thank you so much.
2: Oh no, thank you for the invitation.
3: So we're gonna start out here. Um, John and Tommy, uh, we know that you have experienced difficulties on your campuses with respect to race and race relations. You both have been interviewed about death threats that you have received, but we think some interviews have missed a crucial question. John, we'll begin with you, of course. How does it feel to experience death threats for being a black man who is willing to, who is willing to speak out about injustice?
1: How does it feel? Uh, it um to be honest with you, you. you you join a class that you don't try to join. It's a group of people that you didn't—I didn't seek out to be in that group of people. In fact, I—I uh, I never thought I did anything that would put me in that group. I thought I was just speaking truth to power, you know, maybe somewhat controversial, but you know, at least it's truthful. It's informed what I'm saying. I didn't uh, think that I was walking into those waters of 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 of. of being at risk of receiving death threats and to receive three back to back where they not just thread, uh, threatened my life, but my partner's life as well as my kid's life. They knew my house address, uh, you know, that was just surreal. The first moment was like, I'll never forget. It was like I had an of body experience. You know, like I, I, you, you see it in the movies, you see it, you know, you read it in stories, but There is literally a, I'm literally being called the worst names on earth imaginable with a threat to put a rope around my neck and, and and hang me from a tree. You know, um, it, it, it makes you feel dirty, you know, it makes you feel ashamed. It makes you question what you did. If it was worth what you did, I remember considering putting a, a rope around my neck when I fell asleep so that I could at least overcome that fear that I had of, oh, wow. of me and my children being lynched together. And I literally thought that would be the best way to, to deal with that fear, was to just sleep with a rope around my neck. Exactly. And wow. uh, you know, it was just a lot of mental anguish, a lot of uh, mental health issues. I, I developed, um, uh, 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 what's the word that I'm looking for? What is it called? Um, PTSD. Um, And now because I am a black male who has been attacked for being a black male with an informed opinion, and that hasn't stopped, my experiences continue to be um, so linked to that moment to where that PTSD never goes away. I never get any release. Um, I now understand that the release that I so desperately desire comes with retirement. If I'm fortunate enough to be one of those few Black male professors, scholars, who actually makes it to retirement with my life and my sanity, because a lot of us don't realize just the mental health issues that Black male scholars have to deal with on a day-to-day basis as it is, uh, it's been a challenge. It's been a real challenge, especially since, you know, people are more interested in the sensational part of the death threats rather than the personal parts, you know, just, you know, or how are you doing? You know, this is real, this, these things are taking place. You're, you're, you're witnessing these things to occur on the country. You know, how, how are you doing? You know, th- I don't get those types of experiences. You know, people almost refer to the death threats like it's some type of badge of honor. Like you got these death threats and we've had these death threats and he's gone through these death threats as if I'm not a whole human being with feelings and emotions and fears and insecurities and all those other things that because I'm a black male, I don't get to own anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I I, I feel uh, the same insecurities, but I feel trapped that I can't even um, really own those insecurities. I can't really get frustrated. I can't get angry about the way it was dealt with because I'm a black male and I'm so policed all the time that. I, I've yet to really feel that I've been able to express the pain and the hurt and the loss of those death threats.
3: Yeah, yeah. man, that's a lot. Um, I, like I am, uh, my heart hurts just listening to that. Seriously, I um, the the idea of having to accept fear um, by doing a thing to myself it's terrifying. Right? The only way that then I can be prepared for the types of fear um, that I have to carry as a black man is to go ahead and do it to myself, let myself already experience it. That is, um, I'm sorry, I heard that and my heart literally just fell um, um, because uh, I had some things happen at a previous university that I was at. Um, and I had a, a, a black male professor actually call me and say, hey, um, how can I help you? And, the, and I was already doing the thing that you just said. I said, I actually have to learn this for myself. Like you can't help me. I need to get used to these type of things happening, right? Um, and I was, I was already allowing myself to accept the fear by allowing people to do that thing to me. Um, and it's like, man, that's like just innate almost. It feels like now I didn't even know it, but it's something that I'm just doing to exist as a black male, to exist black. Um, man, 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 man. Uh, I'm taking back right now. Uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna ask Tommy a question too real fast. Um, Tommy, we know that you've had similar experiences. Um, what I'm gonna ask you to do is actually uh, step a little bit um, uh, beyond what John was saying. And I want you to talk, if you can, Um, about what it, uh, about this loss, about this, um, so he talked about death threats being an honor, right? Um, What does it mean to actually take on that honor? What do you lose in the process of taking on that honor?
2: Um, Yeah, it's it's, it's difficult, Um, you know, because I I very much experienced what what John was saying. you know, I think that when, when Black men have this happen to them, a part of you thinks that it's inevitable because people think you deserve it. You know, people people celebrate your pain. And I wanna, I'll want i be very, just very honest here. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that I received the death threats by the alt-right about a week or two after I made a complaint about racism to the administration at Texas a and Mm. Um, so I have no idea or no evidence to say that these things were connected but in my mind it's always been suspicious that years of harassment of myself and other black graduate students uh, I make a formal complaint and two weeks later I'm being attacked by the alt right by a, a, a mysterious or anonymous tin and I looked at the people that were dealing with me um, you know, white deans, white professors, you know, claiming, oh, you know, this is terrible. But me at the same time seeing a certain delight that they got from it. because mm-hmm. they're because despite how well um, I did and despite the kind of diversity I brought there, you know, I'll I say what administrator once told me that the problem a lot of people had with me uh, in Texas was that uh, I thought too highly of myself. So when these, yeah, I mean, and think about this. This is you know, this is that environment. So when death threats come, it's a way, especially in the South, to put you in your place, right? Um, and and the kind of loss you feel with that is 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 immense. Um, you feel it psychologically and existentially because you don't you don't know. You're you're in an all white southern environment where people are very. Adamant that they don't like black people, that black people shouldn't be uh, in departments and on campus. Um, you get it from colleagues. You you don't feel safe anywhere in the in the city because this isn't just a campus phenomenon. This is if I get stopped by a cop, is this one of the cops that agree with the white supremacy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Um, you don't you fear for your family, All right. I had to pull my two little girls out of school. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then I'm in an environment. You know, I'm from the South, so I'm in an environment where any white person at any more at, at any moment could be deputized to take my life, and people would applaud that person. Mm-hmm. So, I, I that that loss is significant. And on the other side of it, it, you you think that you've ruined your career somehow, that because you were doing your work and publishing. And you did a podcast that said, black people have a right to defend themselves. This becomes the basis, right? This becomes the basis of your career being ruined. Not that you said something outlandish, but that a white supremacist with nothing more than a bachelor's degree from LSU, somehow gets an audience with a black professor. And then because this white supremacist disagrees on a blog, my career as a black man, as the first full professor philosophy of the institution becomes ruined so then you know that other white people across the country will use that against you to get a job and this he's a troublemaker he's unfit so then and it doesn't become my and that argument doesn't become an argument about well what am I going to do professionally it becomes an argument well how do I feed and take care of my family how do I contribute to my household how do I find other forms of work and and it become you 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 almost get depressed because the way you experience it is not just as like people are attacking you, you're scared for your life, but you're scared for your family. You know that anything you do is gonna be painted in a negative light. You can't protect yourself, you can't protect your family, right? So you're in this world, right? And I and I remember thinking back when it happened to me that my, my father used to tell me a story when I was little, because you know, um, when they interviewed me about the situation, I told them that we used to, we had a shotgun in the back of our couch. Like the old couches had, you know, boards in the back. of And part of the reason was that my dad said that anytime black people got something in the South, white people felt licensed to come in and take it if they wanted. And that you had to always protect yourself. So I'm educated, got a PhD, teaching at a major research university. And a few years ago, I had to accept you know at the age of 36 37 the very same lessons my daddy taught me when I was four or five yeah, and, yeah. and that's what I mean when I say that you're at the, you're, you're 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 at a standstill because the accusation is that as a black man you should have known never to offend white people you mm-hmm. should have known that your place in the world right is to be subservient don't you know boy black people don't have rights don't you know, you know, that's, that's what it feels like. So you go to sleep at night thinking, well, what if something happens and you can't stop it? Or if you do stop it, does that mean they carry me off to the electric chair because I was protecting my family? It's, it's yeah. an immense form of pressure that that results in powerlessness. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I, have, I had white people tell me, white people at the university at that time, tell me that they think that I started this whole controversy to sell my book. Right, so so the idea was I notice notice what notice the effort that so I'm such a depraved individual that I put the the lives of my wife and my two daughters on the line to sell a book because in their mind they couldn't understand why the book was doing so well. It must be the controversy. This is what black men go that nobody wants to talk about that they're never victims that their lives don't matter, that they can't defend themselves, that even that even when someone attacks your life, you still don't have the right to defend yourself. And it's through this fear, intimidation, and violence that the idea is that we're going to keep that boy in his place because no matter how educated he is, he can never speak against institutions and he can never challenge white people. And that's an unwritten rule in the American Academy and the discipline of philosophy that people refuse to acknowledge because they know that is these intimidation tactics and this national imposition of fear that makes the state silent. I, I,
3: oh, oh, John, I thought you wanted to say something.
1: Unpack I, that, uh, unpack that. <laughs> I mean, so, so, he, he's speaking, yeah. he, He's speaking truth, he's speaking
3: truth. Um, so uh, some of the things that I, I like grabbed onto in, in this is how um, white intellectual arrogance Um, can actually um, take away, uh, control, actual um, intellect or actual knowledge. Um, And now has the power to just white it out if it wants to. Um, And then also this, um, uh, what really, I guess what really is at the core of this, um, is that whiteness has the ability um, to take blackness whenever it wants. Like blackness does not have... Um, power in the same way um, that uh, whiteness does in this world, um, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are things that, when you look at them, when you look at them, at least from this perspective. Especially when we want to talk about um, the black male perspective, um, and then we also want to talk about intersectionality, or we want to talk about uh, patriarchy. It's hard to then have, right, uh, these ideas of that, these ideas of malehood. Um, that go along with white patriarchy um, when, white, when, um, when whites uh, can come and take power um, and protection away from you that you're supposed to be able to have. Um, if you are um, in this patriarchal world where as a black male, um, you have, you've been given particular things, right, in relationship to intersectionality. Um, so as we go along that thread, uh, we want to look and turn a little bit towards, um, Tommy's book in relationship to this.
0: Yeah, and I mean, so, so it's, it's interesting there, you talk about, you talk about, uh, the willingness of whiteness to, to steal everything and to take every bit of power. I mean, we saw this just this past week with this woman, Jessica Krug, uh, who's, who's literally willing to steal Blackness on top of it, right? I mean, so this is, this is just non-stop, um, but yeah, no. So, 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 Tommy, you 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 brought up your book here and 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 the responses to it. Um, so, so, we want to talk about that a little bit. So, so, in your book, the man not you you define black men as men not. Uh, so, so, we wanted you, like John said, to please unpack that a little bit. Uh, uh, what does it mean to be a man?
2: Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll give you a really clear example. Um, you know, when I received these death threats. Not only did people say they were gonna kill me and my monkey families, they talked about lynching me and cutting off my genitalia. They talked about one person talked about raping me, and the other person called me a rapist. Now <laughs> they, they said I built that I Bill Cosby, them a white woman, and the man not is this contradiction of sexual terror, right? Black black men have never been defined as men, and I don't, and I'm not saying that in terms of rhetoric. I'm saying that in terms of the science from the 1860s forth at every stage that black men were engaging with the questions of freedom or politics they were as defined as something other than men savages beasts rapists in the 1950s they were called effeminate in the 1960s and 70s they were said that they were apatriarchal because they were raised by their mothers and had female personality disorders in 1975, Joseph Pleck said, well, the reason that they have female, because they have female personality disorders, they're sexually confused. They're not actually real men, and they lean towards homosexuality. So in every period of time, Black men have been defined as something other than themselves. And the man not is trying to capture that negation. We've been operating in rules that have been given to us by white feminists from the 1860s forward. The ideas of patriarchy we have today are defined by white women reading black power movies. So when you read Shilamit Firestone, dialectics of sex, and she tells you that black men are patriarchs, that's when that argument is being introduced. The second assault, when they're saying that we're rapists because we're not real men, notice the argument. All the arguments coming from the 60s, 70s, and 80s say that black men are rapists because they're not real men. and Because they're not real men, they imitate the only thing they can capture from white men, which is rape. So everything out well into the late 20th century has been defined purely by our savagery and purely by the idea that we have the natural born potential propensity for more violence than white people. And then we come back today and we settle on a gender theory that gives us antidotes and the lack of citation to define who we are. So we have no problem. Citing through personal experience or the story of that one black person or white person had with a black man that shows that they're patriarchal, violent, and dangerous. But black men don't get to investigate themselves as subjects of study. So the man not is trying to capture that fundamental vacuity that's constantly imposed upon us, that's filled in by other people's fear and perceptions of it. And that's the work that I'm trying to do to show people that if you have to hold these mythologies up to the day of light. That they suddenly disappear. The mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. minute yeah. you say that black men are sexist, say, well, let's go look at black men's attitude. What they're more progressive or just as progressive as black women. Oh, let's look at their implicit bias. Black men in both political spectrums, Democratic and Republican, have less implicit bias towards groups than any other group. So how is it possible? That the evidence continues to signal to the world that black men are not only some of the most disadvantaged beings in the, in, in the United States and across the globe, but also one of the most humane and, and caring, altruistic groups of people through all of history. But we're defined by the perceptions that other people have. And the man not is asserting that. Black men are not trying to imitate. They're not mimetic. They're not trying to be white men. That is a poisonous lie that was started purely on the basis that they saw black men as rapists. So the idea that we still study Black men in this way in the 21st century, when these are some of the decadent theories coming out of subculture violence theory in the mid-20th century, tells you not only that there's no compassion for the humanity of Black people, but there's a fundamental dishonesty in the way that we construct them so that other people can make careers and get jobs. So the man not is a deconstructive and demystifying concept that is trying to get the world, not just, not to make excuses and apologetics for Black men, but to genuinely engage in the study of Black men. This is an endeavor that all black men should take up because we can't continue to say that we invest in a progressive politics when the, the fundamental idea behind liberalism is that we leave black men and the nigger down in the ghetto. We can't keep saying that black people are progressing when black men are being left to rot in jails and being cast as an undercast in the systems of America that doomed them to lives of crime, invisibility, and disposal. Wow. <laughs> all right. Uh, Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So,
0: (laughs) I would not want to have to be the person to follow that up. So, John, I know you are a perfect person to follow that up. I want to bring your expertise in here. Uh, So, so you both are a black man and serve as a source of support, guidance, and wisdom for dozens and dozens, hundreds of black men on our campus. So, so how does that experience you have there uh, connect up with, what Tommy said
1: about the man not here. Okay. Um, one of the most proud moments I've ever had is to to be in a conversation with Dr. Tommy Curry, the author of Man Not. Uh, <laughs> what can I add? What can I even add to the black male experience? He just articulated it so, wonderfully well so brilliantly well i mean honestly my my male students for whom i am their main person they come to uh and so here they they get to watch me being neutered on a daily basis they get to watch yeah, yeah. me being marginalized yeah. on a daily basis they see that they are the ones that i fight for the hardest that i'm willing to put my career at risk for them and they appreciate it they, they, they show me love uh, uh for that but they also see me getting just knocked down dismissed relegated to the side marginalized as they even say have claimed to shadow banned they see how i'm treated for for having a strong voice on their behalf and so then they question why not e- why even try mm. to have a voice uh, uh, why not even go there why not even why, why, Dr. Youngblood, should I even try to do this, what you're suggesting I do? We see how you're being treated. We see how every single time you try to do something, you get knocked down. So, And, and then we start finding out that, like when I was growing up, when I was a young man uh, in college, just going to college, in high school and college, I learned to not walk next to a white woman, uh, especially on the sidewalk. So if a white woman was walking on the sidewalk, I learned to walk either off the sidewalk, but preferably to go across the street because she would feel a lot safer with me across the street than with me walking next to her. My students do the same thing. My students talk about hugging the hallway so that they can't be seen as being aggressive or intimidating or, or even flirtatious. You know, and so they talk about this experience of being uh, almost neutered, that you have to, in order to exist, you have to have a neutered identity. Uh, 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 You certainly can't be a male, uh, a man with testosterone, with all the chemistry and all of the responses of a testosterone-driven individual. You have to somehow take that chemistry that is naturally just doing what it does and force yourself to contain that chemical reaction, those chemical responses. And so, they, so they're not free. We're not free to express themselves. And they, they're trying to figure out, how in the world do I have a voice? And so we struggle with trying to understand, why are more and more Black males dropping out of school? Why are more and more Black males not graduating from school? Why are more and more Black males not going to graduate school? Because they are not blind. They see what's happening, they see what's going on and they see it doesn't matter. That's literally what they say. It doesn't matter if I get a PhD. It doesn't matter if I get all of these accomplishments because in this country, in this society, I'm still just gonna be a nigga and be dismissed for it and treated as a result of it. Now, the one thing that I will say that's been an interesting experience for black men that I've witnessed is this. We used to have what we, what, what I would say Black women support, right? Mm-hmm. That Black women were holding us down, that Black women were right there lifting us up. That is something that they don't see. That's something that they don't feel. That's something that's not happening like it used to. So there is a, a, a lonely gulf occurring here as well. So that not only are they not allowed to be men in the way that they see their white counterparts uh, uh, being men, not only do they have to uh, make sure that they uh, contort their bodies in a certain way as to not being threatened. But that one group that used to have their back, regardless, no longer has their back. So that's that's what I'm noticing among the black males that I think actually uh, 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 Tommy's book, Man Not, kind of addresses all of those those issues, all of those experiences. But I have to say, and you can edit this out, but, Tommy, listening to you talk is like being in church for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like watching the, uh, uh, the lawyer in the courtroom who finally has the attention of the juror and justice is being delivered. It's just watching, listening to you is such an edifying event for me. Uh, I have to give the, you two uh, a great deal of thanks for even allowing me to be here because I would like to be here just to listen to Tommy. More so, yeah, yeah. Brother, Thank, thank you. Brilliant.
2: Thank you. And I gotta tell you, if, if I can, that, that means a lot, brother. Because you have no idea how how much anger and hatred I get for just trying to humanize black men. You know, it's I. You know, the book came out. I wanted to have conversations with people. I w- I was willing to go to forums and debate the issues with the evidence, the facts, and nobody took me up on that. The, instead, the book somehow becomes this, this 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 Bible, I suppose, for every negative thing that Black men are. And, th- and that's despite the fact that it's it's been a worldwide success in the sense that people Black men are reading it all across the world. The idea is that a Black man cannot say anything about his group that other people don't approve. And, and, and anybody who's read the book always comes to me and say, This was so eye-opening that you're talking about black men who were abused, black men who've been brutalized, black men who've been erased, black men who are thinking about killing themselves. You have no idea how many emails I've gotten from black men who have had to deal with depression, suicidal, and victims of rape. And and despite all that, despite the book bringing them to a realization that they need help, right, I have these people, black, white, black male, black feminists, et cetera, telling me that the work is worth it. Because they don't value Black pe- black men's lives. Right. They don't care how many lives, right? They don't care how many lives that my book has saved, right? They don't care how many people went to get help. Like, I went to see a doctor. I made up with my father. I was thinking about killing myself, but now I know it's not me. It's the environment. I, I have tons of those emails over the last three years. And not a single person that criticizes has ever said that, wow, even if we disagree, these, pe- these boys, these young men's lives make a difference. And that absolutely disgusts me about the camp.
1: Absolutely disgusting.
2: No, so go ahead, go ahead, John. Go
3: ahead. John. Go ahead, John. Go ahead
1: John. I just think that uh, black men are the uh, the greatest actors in the trauma porn that this country has fallen in love with, and so our deaths are going to be much more desired than our lives. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that people aren't celebrating you saving lives and don't recognize you saving lives and that you're saving people's sanity, literally people's sanity because they can read that somebody else understands this experience. I'm not alone, so you're actually saving people's. But see, we're, we're caught up in trauma porn and the greatest actors in trauma porn and only the, 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 the lead role for the trauma porn are dead black men. So that's really our value is to to be dead black men. That's really what we are. That's where people feel safest around us is around our dead bodies. That's when we can actually be respected Is our dead bodies. I mean, look at George Floyd. Oh my goodness, George. we lifted that brother up. That brother is up there and, 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 and having saved the world. <laughs> I mean, he is just getting credit for things he never would have been considered credit, getting credit for. Why? Because he's dead. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther is life.
2: You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah, we don't. Martin Luther King. We all. I, 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 Martin Luther King. What a great man. No doubt. No doubt. Not taken away from what he did. But what did he have to do to reach that status? Oh. He doesn't die. Black men and our deaths is all they want. Yeah. That's all that's desired. That's all they've ever had for entertainment. That's, that's the most entertaining thing. There were people that would go to these lynches. They would lynch black men and they would have picnic dinners all around the, 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 yeah. the tree and then burn up the body and then cut up the body and have souvenirs. I mean, the black male body is to be hated, is to be violently treated and ultimately it is to be killed. And that's one thing I had to understand with my colleagues and everybody that honestly, what I can do for everybody to finally be accepted and embraced and people comfortable with me and to say something good about what I have done, I have to die. Yeah.
2: And I, and I feel that haunts, that, that idea haunts me. It, it really does haunt me because I know that as much hell as I put up with now, it's not going to be until I die that people will be like, Oh, very, very this very actually very very makes very a lot of sense. That's why the book, that's why I wrote the book, you know, The Man Not About the Corpse. Because every time we talk about black men, it's about the corpse. And usually it's somebody else telling the story. So we <laughs> argue all day about the lives of the boys and the lives of, you know, Cleaver and everybody. And no black man is taking that story as their own. That's right. Everybody I'm else good. gets to construct. We read Eldridge Cleaver the way that Michelle Wallace told us to read Eldridge Cleaver. She comes out and says, "Well, I made up the whole Black Macho thing. I don't even claim it. It was some white woman wrote it." And people are still like, "But that's the best book, right? This book launched." So, so we're we're literally just characters in someone else's mythology. And the and the most damning piece about this is that somebody comes in and says, "I dare you to study black men <laughs> before you form an opinion. Let's just study us, right? There's no ideology. There's no ism." Let's just study what we claim exists about Black men, and no one will even engage or defend their position once it's subject to study. So then the argument becomes ideological. We just don't think that Black men should be studied. We don't think Black men should be hired. We don't think Black men should have a voice to talk about themselves. and we, de- we don't even do that to white people. <laughs> white people run around the world committing genocide, right? White people today, our whole movement, our whole black politics is focused on the idea that white men and women have done nothing but inflict violence upon us even to this very day. But they are still listening to white people. They're still seeking white people out for an opinion. Mm -hmm. They still want to have coalitions with white people because white people have resources. But black men, where the majority of the men died in the streets, the boys being assassinated, the people that are denied any sort of futurity. Are the ones that are being demonized because every time they're shot like well that's tragic but you know black, men are, black <laughs> men are violent right and that's why i say in the book every conversation that tries to analyze black men is a they are but conversation mm. and so,
0: so so how do so, you sorry go ahead Mark.
3: yeah so my I, I i hear that um and the first thing that comes to my mind is why is it so difficult, right, for the rest of society to see black men as the man not? Like what is what is holding the rest of society back from a seeing great, black men a great as deal of the man not?
1: That's been a very great deal of concerted effort in this country, especially through media, especially through newspaper. I mean that's that 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 has been going on since days of slavery. I mean, even the minstrel shows played a role in that. But there's a great deal of investment this country has in demonizing black men from the very beginning. That's where much of our sensationalism, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, short stories that were ever written or or, or newspapers that were ever published, that was the theme, right, is the scary black man. That's a lot of work that has been gone into demonizing black men. You have to give white men credit for that. Because a lot of attention was lifted off of white man because of the fear okay. of the black man. White okay. men who were beating the shit out of their wives. White men who were abusing the shit out of their families. White men who were molesting the crap out of their families, right, they, they, by being able to create this boogeyman, this black man, which they have done okay. very effectively. Look at the, just throughout history, our entertainment has been at the expense of black people, black people's humanity, black people's experiences, black people's identities. That's what this entertainment in the country is all about. So yeah, we have. that's what we have invested in so heavily in this country, is the criminalization of black men, the demonization of black men. We can't even, notice we can't even be sexual unless we're objects of sex. Mm-hmm. Right? We, can't be, we can't own our own sexuality. All we can be is an objective as sex <laughs> items, sex objects. You know, In this time where we talk about women are, being, are, 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 are sexualized and women are nothing but sex objects, and I'm not disagreeing with that argument, but f- what about the black male experience? You don't get a chance to, to, to poke your chest out. You don't get a chance to, 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 to own your sexuality. All you can do is be the object of someone's sexual desire. If you dare have a, a desire, if you have a desire, you can't ever express it. You can't even express it. I was on campus one day and I needed something from someone, and uh, a white woman. And this white woman was outside smoking a cigarette with other white women. And I asked uh, if they, one of them knew where something was and um one of them looked at my feet and they said you got big feet and i hesitated because i was worried about where this was gonna go Mm -hmm. and the next comment was well you know what they say about men with big feet Oh and then i thought they're really gonna go there and then the other one said well he has twins so you know he must have something Oh, Lord, 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 Now, this is me at my job. And when I brought it up to officials, it was dismissed.
2: Absolutely, it was.
1: As unimportant, irrelevant, I what's the big deal type of thing. Now, could you imagine? Flip that script around, and it's the three black men who don't have the same rank as that white woman. I'll leave it there. And she comes out, and you got big breasts, right? And you know what they say about women with big breasts? Well, she's got two kids, you know they got to feed her with something. Could you imagine how that would have been viewed, right? The hypocrisy is just overwhelming when it comes to the Black male's experience, the Black male's identity, and even when it comes to sex, even when it comes to the basic human function of sex a black man is not free to express himself. Absolutely. All he can be is an object.
0: Right. And Absolutely. Tommy, this is this is something you've worked on a lot, this hypocrisy, this mythology, these misperceptions around black men and sexuality. Uh, could you yes. tell us about some of that work, please?
2: Man, I, well, you know, first, first, you know, John, I mean, that, that resonates so much. Um, when I was in Texas, uh, there was a white female colleague that would always rub my shoulders. right? She would always literally do this every time she she greeted me or I was about to leave so much so that my wife actually made a comment about it. and and we had a discussion where I told her I was like yeah it's it's really bogus you know I'm uncomfortable with it but I was like if I say anything about it I'm going to be accused of being the aggressor right so if so if if I don't like this white woman touching me other people we had we had a gentleman come in a black man get, come in for an interview and, and this is, this tells you how, and we went to a restaurant and he saw it and he asked me, well, what's up with that? And I explained the situation to him and he was like, yeah, it's best that you don't say anything. Wow. Right? So, so that's, that's a personal anecdote about how black men are made, not into objects, but how we're made for other people's disposal. A lot of the work that I do is on the sexual abuse and rape of black men throughout history and in our society. And no matter how much data or how many stories I accumulate, people do not want to accept that young black men are being sexually coerced and raped in America. And you know, even even before the you know the interview, the reason I sent you the government statistics was because I know that in the back of people's mind, there's this doubt that I don't know how many articles I've published on this now, but there's this denial that Black men are being victims of rape, largely by women. Yeah, yeah. And, and get these experiences where Black boys are between the ages of six and nine, right, nine mm-hmm. and 12, reporting that their first sexual experience are with older teenage girls or women. We go and study people's, we get snapshots of their experience, and what do we find? Young boys saying that older women were their first sexual experience, raped them, coerced them, taught them about sex, ridiculed them if they refused. You see you see the numbers, you see the CDC data sets, and yet, despite the stories and everything, nobody can accept that Black men have to deal with this. I've, I'm in a discipline where a Black feminist literally told me that it's impossible for Black boys or Black men to be raped because they always want sex. Mm. Wow, 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 wow. So the work that I do is very much about Black men as victims, because this is a part of our identity and our existence that that not only is, is dismissed, right? Our humanity is dismissed, but it's, it's willfully reconstructed as something different. People pretend that young Black boys at the ages of six to nine want to have sexual intercourse. And then if an older woman, a teenage woman, a teenage girl or older woman actually has sex with them, it was because of their agency. It was because of the black boy seducing them. The black child seduced the teenage woman into raping him. So she has no culpability. And the effects that this has on young men is tremendous. Depression, anxiety, risky sexual behavior. A child before the age of 21, more likely to be a victim of intimate partner violence, more likely to be a perpetrator of intimate partner violence. There are some very serious pathways that explain a lot of the kinds of of maladies and maladjustments that Black men have in society that people refuse to look at because they refuse to acknowledge that Black men can be victims to other groups of people, especially older Black women in their community. If you want to tell a narrative about a Black man raping a little boy, people will stand up and clap for you. I told you that's how they work. But you show that these young boys have issues with connectivity, passion and love because they were abused by people in their own families and communities who happen to be black women or girls and nobody wants to have a conversation and what my work has tried to capture is highlight that this is not this is not take a feminist perspective i'm not interested in punishing the perpetrator i'm interested in getting the victims help we need to identify the perpetrators but my work doesn't come from a criminological orientation these young men are growing up with lack of hopelessness and not being able to effectively cope with trauma. And what my work's trying to do is show people that this, that the issue of racism is much, is about much, much more than just bullets. So if you want to talk about intersectionality and make it political, God bless you. But you notice that black men are never depicted as victims in intersectionality. They're always depicted as perpetrators. So when someone comes in from a black male studies orientation and says, Well, let's just take a look at, I don't know, domestic abuse. Why do so many Black men and boys re- report high incidences of, of, of child physical abuse by their mothers? Why are so many Black men and boys talking about early statutory rape and sexual coercion? Why are so many Black men and boys talking about verbal, psychological, and physical abuse by their spouses? Oh, well, you know, Tom, you can't study that. right? We, ha- we have a real problem dealing with facts when it comes to Black men. And the effect of that is that we're attributing a certain kind of malice and the notion of toxic masculinity to their behaviors when their behaviors match up with any other group of victims from the same socioeconomic status and with the same backgrounds of trauma and abuse. But we refuse to acknowledge that there's not something fundamentally wrong with them. And this is the dominant orientation that we find in philosophy. You can't go to a philosophy conference where you don't hear a conversation about Black men being toxic or angry. And then when you question that idea, because remember, you can't question it. You're just the person they're talking about. You can't question people talking about your own group. But when you do challenge it, that's evidence, of your, that's evidence of your toxic masculinity. So all they have to do is cite Jesse towards Audre Lord and Bell Hooks and suddenly the world is right. Absolutely we know this is how black men are. When you start talking to actual victims, have clinical and hands-on experience. You're dealing with public policy considerations and epidemiology. Well, that can't be allowed because you know we don't like evidence that contradicts our ideology and philosophy. We have a real problem it's based on sexual violence and sexual
3: abuse. I am going to still, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna come back to the question that I, that I asked John to you, Tommy. Again, um, and I, um, it's it's pushing again on why is this? Why is it that society can't see this, right? What is it keep? What is keeping the blinders on, right? Um, why can't? Um, yeah, yeah. What, what, What is what is in the way for, pe- for, for, for people to be mm-hmm. able to actually see how um, black men are being treated in society? What's actually getting in the way? Uh, um, jo- John, you already I answered. Have some, have some. So Tommy, I'm asking you now.
2: <laughs> I mean, look, they, society hates black men. So this is what black male studies call, scholars call anti-black misandry. Anti-Black misandry is the collective negative ideas that a society or a group have about Black men that justify the sanction or elimination of that group. Now we know from various social psychology studies, uh, both formidability studies and even studies going back as far as preschool, that when you put groups of Black men or boys together, they have the most negative aspects of stereotypes just by looking at them. We know that from Mm -hmm. Colin Book's work, that just hearing a Black man's name activates coping fight or flight mechanisms And they consider them as being larger stronger faster and a more lethal threat than other ethnicities so we can't deny this we know that employment situations even when employers hold negative stereotypes about black women being angry loud and aggressive when you compare them to black men those stereotypes become positive right because ideas that they're they're angry aggressive and independent because they have to deal with black men who are criminal and more lethal right so we know that there's an interaction factor or variable in how we actually understand what's going on in society and their hatred towards Black men. The problem is, is that our society and academic life is largely structured around white narratives and mythologies of existence. So mm-hmm. if white people say that Black men are dangerous, despite the fact that Black men's danger is no higher when you control for class than practically any other group, it's the concentration of these men in certain kind of environments and in certain kind of demographics, like unemployment, trauma, early exposure to violence, et cetera. So even when you do, even when you control for the factors that people say we need to for good scientific or social scientific understanding, black men somehow get pathologized even beyond that. So the reason that society doesn't recognize us that way is because they construct us as animals, specifically apes. If you follow the work of Philip um, uh, and they have an investment in our death and dying. And what's been most disappointing about how people want to deal with this reality is they keep positing that Black men, because they're men are somehow not vulnerable to these kinds of social mythologies. This is part of the problem of making Black men generic subjects, and by generic subjects, I mean that we only define Black male experience through race. In every single quarter, make it be an economic, education, social perception, political constituency, stereotypes about racial stereotypes, about who's the most dangerous or more promiscuous, all these focus on Black men. Like every single model shows that racial stereotypes are overwhelmingly predicated on how out groups like whites view Black men to stand in for the negativity of the race. They think they're the biggest problem. So it's no surprise then that the conversation we're having is not on people's radars because you think that everything negative about Black people are actually how Black men of the race are, which is why you could explain Black girl magic so easy. Because, hey, they're not like Black men. And this is exactly the kind of argument that you get coming out of the 1960s and 70s when white feminists and black feminists are starting to talk about black men as a unique subculture within the black community. It's black men who are dangerous. It's black men who don't want to work. It's black men who are uneducated. It's black men who are rapists. It's black men who are abusers. You know, this is, this is the narrative. So it allows educated, socially mobile black women, especially in the academy, to distance themselves from black men. This is the exact same argument Sylvia Winter makes in No Humans of this is the exact same argument that uh, Elaine Brown makes in the condemnation of Little B. So we have to be very deliberate and very uh, disciplined in what the actual criticism is. People don't see this because they've constructed an epistemology and an order of knowledge and a social psychology that does not view black men as victims. And the reason that you have the work of people like Ashby Plant that shows that even college educated students. They will shoot an unarmed black man before they shoot armed black women and white women is because there's such a social negativity and negation of black male life that even an unarmed black man who does not have a gun is a more is, a, is, a, is to be a more legal danger than armed women be they black or white right and we have to deal with that right we have to deal with that we can't keep pretending that it's ignorance we have to understand that these products and these notions about black men are made to justify social hierarchies and inevitably justify the kinds of knowledge and programs that are being put into the academy. Because you have to remember that the, the theories that we're talking about, the theories that ultimately undergird the belly of intersectionality's feminist theorization, all come from racist white academics. These are not, these are not the, the wild, crazy white people of the 60s and 70s. These are criminologists. Right? These are people who have degrees in sociology. These are people who some of which are still alive working in sociology departments, like Holmes and Williams, authors of The Second Assault. So we have to understand what is being put out, why certain things aren't being questioned, and then why people are so offended that those things are now being challenged with evidence and fact. Uh, All
1: right, go ahead, John. The election between Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump was an interesting election to me. And I will acknowledge to all of you all, I didn't vote. Because for me, I didn't see anyone in the race that represented me or that I could get behind. And and I believe in the sacredness of the vote. One thing I felt like I noticed when I was watching Hillary Clinton in particular, uh, who uh, Michelle Obama has said is Black people's fault that uh that uh, uh Donald Trump won that Hillary Clinton didn't lost that if we had gotten out and voted that then, you know she she would have won and and we do know that black women voted heavily
3: mm-hmm.
1: for Hillary Clinton that was her biggest support group. Black men wasn't as strong that way and i told and I noticed when I was watching uh Hillary Clinton speak, she never spoke to black men she spoke about black men she would talk to all these audiences of black women and she would talk to black women, but she never talked to black men. She talked about black men. And what I thought, and I was really interested in what your take on this was, I felt like she was of the mind that black women would come home, tell black men what to do and we would just do it so she didn't have to talk to black men. We were subjected to black women's orders, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, black women's dictates. What, what are your thoughts about that?
2: I think well there's a few things um, one the the political science research after the election shows that there wasn't a significant gender gap so i know i know a lot of the narrative follows that cnn poll you know uh 13% of black men but when they looked at larger samples they didn't find any significant gender gap so that's that's kind of the first thing cuz you know the cnn poll only has a 90 person spread cuz they only interview like 2000 or some black people um but i think at a larger point though is that black men were being interpreted as if any disagreement with black women's vote was in fact a, po- a pathological issue that black men, for example, couldn't say, well, look, we don't want Donald Trump, but we don't want Hillary Clinton. So they stayed home, right? They didn't exercise the vote. Well, that's because their sex is a patriarchal, right? That's not because they have an issue with her involvement of targeting black men as super predators in the, ni- the mid nineties. The issue is, is their sexism and misogyny. And for the Black men who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, there could not possibly be an issue-based analysis that says, well, look, maybe I'm tired of being on the plantation of democratic politics. Let's try out this this Trump guy. I disagree with him, right? But maybe he has something better than putting all the Black people in jail. Now, that's not my rationalization. But if there are Black men who are moderate slash right, that certainly could be their rationalization. But Black men are not studied with that kind of nuance and depth, right? One of the first things we learned in political science class back in the long time ago in the 90s was that you have people who are base voters that vote for one party no matter what. You have people who are issue-based voters, right? And, and this may have been a situation where Black men were issue-based voters. The problem on both fronts, though, is why do Black men have to line up with Black women's political posture? That's the question I'm asking. I, nobody's given me a justification for that. Everything that we hear today about Black women uh, voting For the liberation of the rest of the country comes on the assertion and the assumption that voting democratic is best for the the future of the country nobody substantiated that claim it's just the claim that because they vote democratic more in many elections locally etc that that means that they have the best interest of the country at heart that's a ridiculous premise voting for a political party does not mean that you have the best interest of a whole group of people in in your interest. And I think that that's what's also being reproduced in the academy, where intersectionality becomes this kind of marker for democratic or left liberal platform politics. So it's not in that house. This is just saying, well, given the white supremacy of the Republicans and the white supremacy of the Democrats, let's castigate black men for not buying into the progressive narrative. Even though they're disenfranchised, even though they're more unemployed, even though they have one of the lowest wages at 51 cents, when you take into consideration unemployment and incarceration, they, they, they basically are at the same levels that they had pre-segregation. None of that matters. The issue is, do they perform a certain kind of political need that white liberals have? And if they don't, then we get to continue this narrative of deficit, of lacking, of negativity, right? So I think, I think Hillary's telling, but what, what I think is more telling is how white liberals and black feminists use that money. Because you can look, because everything comes off that CNN poll, right? You can look at the CNN poll and just break it down. The sample's not large enough to tell you anything. And when you get down to a 90-person difference, why does that become the totality of Black men's political persona and personality? Right? And this is what I mean. That's, no, no other group is defined in that way. No other group. So when we look at educated whites that voted for Trump, there's all kinds of reasons, all kinds of fears, all kinds of nuances property tax, backlash, future security, etc. But black men, well, we don't really have any studies on black men's voting behavior. Either they vote with black women or they're sexist and misogynist. Right? And, this, and this speaks to the lack of depth that we actually have because most of the things that we learn about black men are mythological. They have no basis in any fact. You can't question them or study them. It's just a mythology that we tell ourselves about how they act. So that's what I think Hillary Clinton very much is. And now you see the same thing being rehearsed or uh, with, with Kamala Harris, because Black men are, why should I trust the cop? Black men grow up in fear, right? From Black boys forward, we grow up in fear of cops. And you telling me that I got to give my vote to a Black woman that supports locking Black people up, not just Black men, but other Black women. And because Black men, a certain group of Black men or a sect of Black men are politically skeptical about that, suddenly that becomes evidence of patriarchy or evidence of sexism. It's the go-to strategy. It's the same thing that Phoebe Cousins said back in the 1860s, right? Black men are getting a taste of freedom, they're more brutish, they're more barbaric than even white men, so they should be denied. And we continue to read Black men in that way today. There's nothing deep about it. Again, this is part of the problem we have of not being able to generally confront and deal with the images and the ideologies that other people have about us or our group.
0: Right, in, in, an acad- in, in an academy which has supposedly been significantly influenced by empiricism for centuries now, yet still, as you've said over and over, don't want to hear the lived experience of Black men talking about Black men, and don't want to see the data about Black men. So their own projects get undermined here, even. That's how, that's how, how rampant this Black misandry
2: is. And, and to it, it, be honest with you, most of the theories that are based in empiricism, so if you go back and read subculture violence theory or the second assault, you know that's talking about race sex stratification in the in the 1980s. They they flat out say we have no empirical evidence that black men are compensatory. We, there's no evidence, right? So if you go if you actually go back and do what scholars used to do, like literature reviews, you would find out that most of the theories that we claim are empirically substantiated were, we're starting to, were were the starting assumptions that people had about Black men as a group because of the disproportionate rates of homicide and sexual assault and rape in their community. And now that the definition of rape has changed, and you see similar rates of rape, not only amongst Black women against Black men, but also of White women against White men, nobody wants to go back and start questioning, well, maybe we got some things about gender wrong. So what they do, this, this, this evidence has been around since the, uh, for a decade. So we just pretend that it doesn't exist, right? Laura Steppel writes about this, uh, several years ago, he's a professor at UCLA about equal rates of sexual assault in the CDC uh, NISVS data set. Nobody acknowledges it. Everybody's quiet about it. But part, but part of the argument about this isn't just acknowledging that women are perpetrators of rape. It's to pull apart the idea that Black men especially have an innate cultural sensibility and deficit that motivates them towards rape. If you have similar rates of, of, of perpetration, then what is it that makes Black men uniquely evil? If you have a decade worth of evidence that says that these things are varied by context, and by histories and trauma, why are Black men still being constructed as the men? And more importantly, whose who's, uh, departments and whose careers are being built are propagating things that we know empirically are false. Right, this, this argument about Black men goes so much deeper than an opinion. There's tons of receipts both in our field of philosophy and the academy at large, that deliberately are utilizing criminological studies and bogus scholarship to influence criminal justice policy and political rhetoric about Black men and the place they should stay in. Lin a. Curtis didn't just pop up in, into Washington, D.C. He wrote things that influenced criminal policy. And these white feminists in the 1970s utilized this as a way to justify how Black women would be treated in the criminal justice system. And this isn't just about the war on drugs. This is about rape policy. This is about economic policy and anti-discrimination law. So we, we have a lot of work to do if we're trying to actually get at the crux of what's happening to Black men and boys in this country. And people want to keep making this about politics and identity when I'm talking about groups of death and die, right? There's a fundamental readjustment that has to be had in the academy and in our political sphere to get at the humanity of what
1: these men are suffering. Yeah, but who would benefit from Black men's humanity? Who would benefit, what group other than Black men would benefit from our upliftment?
0: You're absolutely right. But I mean, what's amazing there is that the sociological and epidemiological studies show that even white folks would benefit from this. White folks benefit from more equal societies as much as uh, we like to claim that we don't. Uh, white folks benefit from more integrated more more uh, 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 more diverse classrooms, even though we like to pretend we don 't so so i mean it's, it' It seems so toxic to me that that we white folks are even willing to undermine ourselves to continue to undermine black men but see that 's a
1: very white experience i don't know any group that undermines themselves the way white people do especially poor white people i don't know any group that votes against their own interests the way white people will vote against their own interests so that's actually quite frankly a white thing to do especially where race is concerned i have seen people white people do some very damning things to themselves uh in 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 the interest of, uh, of furthering racism you know so i i i mean there is something to be studied there with white people like, well, I mean, how often are white people complicit in their own demise? How much, and, and how much of that is res, as a result of their own racism?
3: So um, we've talked a lot. We've gone all over the place. Um, and I've really appreciated this. I've got so many notes. I've got literally 10 pages of notes in front of me right now, um, starting with Um, All the way back up, and I'm going to start back with um, um, uh, the death threats um, and attempting to accept fear, to trauma porn, um, to having to hide black maleness, um, being the most humane and oftentimes, uh, right, this was something I was thinking about in the process, um, is um, being considered a devil. Um, and usually when you're considered at the bottom, you have no choice, you have no option, but to be the most open to everything that's above you. Right? Um, um, and so uh, there's this idea that Black men might also be um, the most humane, the most open, the most this, the most that, in relationship to having to be defined um, in relationship to um, uh, other people's morals, right? By putting the Black the black male as this, are as this demon, and then allowing the rest of society to put their morality in relationship to that, right? Um, and then we move forward, um, and we talked about uh, the sci- society being anti Black, uh, male, especially the super predator, um, the, that the narrative that part of the reason why society is anti Black and that we see this negative, fe- this negative effect um, and this man not is because the narrative is being controlled. By whiteness, in the same ways, um, in the same ways um, that uh, if we want to talk about sex, that's being controlled by whiteness, and why we've had to have the womanist movement, right? Um, we've also talked about uh, intersectionality in the ways that, to some extent, it doesn't have the apparatus to deal with the man now. It doesn't have the apparatus to deal with black men. Um, um, And so then there, there we need to do something intersectionality either needs to grow. Um, It seems to be the case, at least from what Tommy wants to say, or we've got to get rid of the concept, you know, as, uh, as James, I'm going to go to James Baldwin here and go to the title of our, um, our podcast, Um, the concept of God either has to be larger, freer, and more loving. And if it's not, then it's time that we got rid of the concept. Right. And I think that Tommy would want to say the same thing about intersectionality. The concept of intersectionality has to be larger, freer and more loving in relationship to all uh, points of intersection. And even if those points of intersection don't line up in the ways that intersectionality wants it to be, um, then it either has to like if it doesn't line up um, and we don't change it, then we have to get rid of the concept. right? Um, am I am I am I characterizing you uh, well enough there, uh, Tommy? Absolutely,
2: absolutely, absolutely. If I if I could just uh, say something very briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. You know, inter- intersectionality is you know nobody. I'll put it this way, nobody is opposed to the various and voluminous studies that Black women have done about their own experience. I I honestly don't know a Black man in the academy that's like I'm tired of hearing about Black women. That's not the argument. The argument is the caricatures that black men become constructed as in an effort for some projects in black feminist theory to go forward. So there's one thing to say, look, we need to pay attention to black women in the civil rights movement, to their political activism. Everybody, everybody I know, in my experience, I, it be a, is down for that project. What, what the people that I'm talking to are not down for is this idea that black men because their men are rapists, because their men are abusers, because they're trying to fulfill some lost function of patriarchy, that because we're talking about the issues that we have now about being disempowered by racism, that our only coping mechanism is to try to imitate white men, right? Like These are the kinds of analyses that are running rampant under black feminist and intersectional theory that to this day have not yet been proven. And it is simply not enough for black men to be characterized. the negative experiences that white women or black women have with them as academic truth and theory so what i'm saying is if intersectionality is making a prediction that black women are always on the bottom or that black men are simply trying to emulate white masculinity and it refuses the empirical data for the last 30 years to show otherwise then the concept was not meant as an analytic concept but an axiom that's trying to work under the guise of a theoretical tool if it cannot change on the basis of evidence and accept falsification then there's no reason that black men should embrace a theory that entails them accepting their own deficit and pathology as the basis for trying to diversify or pluralize subjectivity. Okay. And what I'm suggesting is that black male studies intervenes differently. Does it test an intersection? If you frame it as that, absolutely. I prefer an entity based model, but you, could, you conceptualize it different ways. The major difference is that black male studies articulates black male experience through ethnography, empiricism, and actual statements of fact. And it's the materiality of Black men's lives and their relationship to other specific groups that becomes the way of not only reclaiming Black male humanity, but testing the types of malices and maladjustments that they engage on because they lose that. And if that's not a rigorous intellectual, theoretical, and scientific approach, then I don't know how the hell we're going to study gender. But what's being refused here is not the actual study of Black men in earnest. What's being refused here is that a Black man stood up in America and said that everyone, including Black feminists and Black feminist theory, was wrong about Black men. That's what's being contested, not the evidence, not the facts, not the reality or even the connection that Black men feel with Black male studies, but rather that in an academic and bourgeois space that Black men do not have, should not dare to have the right to speak about themselves and say something different than other people have said. And that's what I think intersectionality tries to go- operate as the guise. It gives legitimacy about negative stereotypes about Black men without having to actually engage Black men or try to test what Black men are actually thought to okay. be.
3: OK, that is very clear now. It's <laughs> very clear now.
1: I uh, hope very none clear now. last statement. Yeah. I, I hope y'all don't edit none of that last statement. No, I we,
3: we, we won't. We won't leave, leave though <laughs> the whole thing. So. Um so so um if we are now looking at um what's actually happening to black men right that's the focus here is that intersectionality to some extent is not actually looking at black men it's not actually looking at the evidence not actually looking at the facts right um and this is where i'm going to ask a, a kind of a, a kind of different question um how do we cultivate um black boy joy in black black men and black men and boys if their experience is not being seen? How do we actually create, how do we cultivate black joy um, in men and boys then, right? Um, how do we then, when we, when black men and boys are being demonized and then not um, being uh, affirmed by the fact that this actually exists in their experience, right? Or that their experience, they're actually being seen this way how then do we like combat that as uh, um, as uh, as black men and boys? How do we combat the, amongst each other? What do we do? Um, because I I like I am gonna I am like I have yeah 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 I um I have you know you know I'm I'm a black black boy black man <laughs> and um, you know it's very we know this in the academy it's very isolated right. Um, so how do we like not only cultivate, and I would say cultivate each other, but also cultivate each other, cultivate ourselves even in the isolation, right? Um, because there has to be some way um, that uh, <laughs> we can build each other up or build ourselves up at least, right? Um, yeah, I just am like, I, I want at least to end on something where it's like I walk out of this um, and I've seen a lot of my experience in this. Um, um, but I want to, I, I'm trying to walk out where I'm like, now, you know, I've walked down into the Valley and I saw myself, I've saw myself dead. Right. And now I'm trying to like resurrect, you know, I'm, uh, I, um, I've had that existential, like it's in my face and now I'm trying to walk on. Um, and I know this is something that also is foundational to the <laughs> black, <laughs> black male experience, right. Um, the ability to, to walk on, um that I want to walk on in a way that actually is cultivating. And this is the big thing. Like Black boy um, and Black male joy, right? Um, not persistence, right? Um, because I think that's how I have been doing it over the past, right? Yeah. Um, if I've just been like persisting. I'm like, you know what, this is just what has to be done. Um, and you guys talked about death, uh, about um, like my life not mattering until I die. And you don't know how young I was when I thought that. Um, that first, when that thought first came across my mind. And I don't know if it's been a, something that I've said for a long time, that if my life is more valuable gone um, than it is alive, then take it, right? If I'm gonna do more for my community dead than I would alive, then take this life, right? And so that's why when the cops pull me over and they want, and if they shoot if they shoot me, it's like, you, you shot the wrong black guy, right? my record's clean, I've done all this stuff. It's like, even though they're going to try some way to
1: demonize me,
3: it's going to be hard, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, But you're the right guy. I don't understand why you say you're not the right guy. You are the right guy for them to shoot if you have no no criminal
3: past. 100%, 100%. But what I'm saying is if the weight of my death, it would do more now than it would do in 30 years, right? Um, Then I've, in the past anyways, in my life, I've been like, I'm willing to give it up, right? Um, and so, what I'm trying to do is really talk about ways where I can walk away uh, from having to subsist, um, to stay, right. to not, to get out of what um, you know David David Marriott talks about the crawl space, right? I want to get out of the valley, right? I want to stop. I don't want to be. I like. How do I step out of the valley? Um, and the thing is, I think it's hard to talk about stepping out of the valley because we're all in the we're in the valley. Like we're all there together, right? Um, no one's further. I don't know if anyone's further out of the valley. It's like getting out of the valley is all of like we're all like climbing this thing, muddy, slipping up and down. Um, and so I'm just trying to like get some type of joy at the end. Um, like I want to. I want uh, some type of um, yeah. So maybe I'll go and maybe this will make it clear the question. Um, it makes me think about something like um, the difference between um, X X X and King, right? Um, X really, you don't have an you don't have a king without an X, right? Um, X, the one thing that he focuses on um, is is um, is uh, black people loving blackness, right? Um, and so part of it is that I think this is something that's like missing in relationship to the black black male experience. We really, people look at us and it looks like we really love ourselves, right? It really like, we're like, oh, we've got all the style. We've got all the this, we don't care about this. You know, we're like this, this and that. Uh, But I think in that there's a lot of hate. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of hate. Um, And so I'm trying to like push against that hate towards some type of joy, Um, some type of theme that's um, black men loving black men. Right, um, uh, and I think that's something that I, I like, yeah, I, I, um, I, I, I have to some extent struggled, um, struggled seeing, um, and so I'm just like, what are ways that we can cultivate this, uh, this uh, love for, for each other at least, and love for ourselves? Um, how can I love myself better? How can I love other Black men better? Um, how can I love other Black boys better? Um, and not in a way that's telling them to not be not be a Black male, right? Um, I think that's oftentimes what it is. I, I, I don't know, um, and I feel bad about this. I'm throwing myself under the bus here. Um, but in the past, I know there's been times where I've had a Black male student, and I'm like, hey, like, oh, you want to do that? Well, then, you know, like, I've done the same thing that's been done to me, where it's like, I'm gonna ask you not to give up all that you're wearing, but maybe a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Just your pants a little less baggy, right? Um, even though your mind is as sharp as mine, right? And so what are ways I guess that I'm trying to say that we can cultivate black boy joy or love for being a black male to other black males? Um, I don't know if anyone wants to speak to that. Um, John are telling me, I don't, I, um, maybe I, maybe I'm still, maybe the question still isn't well-formed.
2: Um,
3: I I just don't know. I just don't know. Um, I don't know how, um, I, uh, I, um, you know, um, and maybe telling me you might say, you know, this text is one of the (laughs) ways.
2: Um, do you mind if I, if I take a little bit, John? No, listen, I think, Let me tell you, I'll I'll tell you a really brief story. Um, When I did my PhD in Southern Illinois, I was coming back from DePaul University. Um, DePaul University started a critical race studies program back in the day, and they did not like me whatsoever. So they said things like, oh, you can't write, Uh, we don't think you're philosophically sharp, X, Y, and Z. So I left the program. Entered Southern Illinois because at that point I was tired of philosophy. Um, said I was going to go to law school. My advisor kid sticker said, hey, you know, why don't you just apply to the program, you know, help me out with a few classes, et cetera. And then he said, well, you know, you, you'll probably only be here like a year or so. And I was like, well, can somebody finish a PhD in a year? He's like, well, no, nobody's ever done it. <laughs> so I was like, I think I could do it. So I finished my PhD in a year, uh, finished all my coursework. Um. And I'm not saying that as a story of triumph. Actually, I'm trying to say the opposite. My joy came about because white people, in general, hate black men. They don't want us around. They don't want to engage us. They don't recognize our genius, our brilliance, or any potential. So my strategy has always been to defy everything that white society imposes on me. Right? White people were hoping that when I was attacked by the alt right, and probably a lot of black people, philosophy too. We're Hoping that my career was going to be over. so, I sat down in my room and thought about it. Right, how's a way to continue a career doing what I'm going to do? The paradigm about what we think about ourselves has to shift, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, yeah. It can't be that we're loved and accepted like other groups of people. That's not going to happen, okay? Me, okay, right? I, used to I used to talk to Derrick Bell about this all the time before he passed our email, you know, and he, you know, he was like, Yeah, you know, people hate me, you know, people. People act like I'm not intelligent, people X, Y, and Z. But he found a different way to build value. And that's what Black men and boys have to do. The, the idea that we're going to be accepted is not going to work. So we have to have different strategies by which we actually form community. And I think you can tell you from your own experience that that's exactly how Black male studies scholars move through the academy, right? There's no, no mistake that Black men are being exposed to the man not. It's no mistake they're seeking it out themselves. I've had people email me saying, well, my, my, my teacher told me I couldn't read this book. So I went out and bought it and read it right like they're like black men for and I'm being dead serious with you. Black men are forming their own reading groups because people in the academy are telling them not to read this book. So the, so so black men, black men have to reconstruct the idea of what their existence means, not just to other people, but for themselves. Like, this is going to be a fight. And I think you can tell that the reaction that people have had just to me telling the truth about black men is a fight. There's no, and the funny thing is, is that when you read the book, nobody's being attacked. It's just, it's a bunch of statistics, facts, and theories about what that means. But people want to pick a fight because the idea that Black men legitimate themselves, right, that value themselves is what's offensive. But the answer to your question is, you have to think differently about what it is that you value. Yeah, yeah, so
1: the yeah, person yeah, yeah, that yeah. told
2: you, well, listen, and, and this is what's important, right, and I, and I mean this very seriously. I could have stayed at Texas A&M and just grinded away, said, I'm fighting the good fight. But there's never been a black person, much less a black man, that said, I'm going to disregard everything that people say in philosophy and do what I'm going to do, and still be better placed and more successful than some percent of all the philosophers in the country. That's never happened in history. There's never been a black man that's accepted a chair position in Europe in an ancient university. Now, the point of that isn't, To say that i'm great the point of that is to say well think about how many young black men think that that could be them think about how many other black men could say well you keep telling me that i have to do this but curry did that right the issue the issue is that it moves the needle about what black people but especially black men could be and that's what black men don't want to embrace black men don't want to be the sore thumb we always talk about how we need role models but we don't want to be the role model and in this sense, the role model isn't playing the game. It's about defining what people can't say about us. Mm-hmm. So so part, of, so part of the question that you had about this young brother was, well, well you know, I've, I'm fearful for you because I know what people are going to say about
3: you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: But ask yourself this question. They say that about you anyway.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do and every this, day. <laughs> this
2: is a hard lesson I had to accept. No matter what I did, I've had a 4.0 since I was basically a kid right? I mean, on every single measure, I would be first generation, right? Parents didn't have a college degree. If I was a white person, I'd be it'll be a lifetime special. <laughs> Nobody cares about a black boy from Lake Charles, Louisiana doing that. But it's a story for what other, I know that no matter, I grew up in the South, so I know that no matter what I do, I am just a fancy talking Negro to so many, to white people generally. Mm-hmm. No matter how many educa- no matter how many degrees or book awards right or I get this is just a negro that speaks real well I know that so then why do I why would I put my investment in what white people think why would I put my investment in groups of black scholars in the academy that think I'm a rapist and, a, and an animal See, if you if you do that this is what Biko was saying if you do that you interiorize the inferiority mm-hmm. that your oppressor is putting on and I'm not as, you know, I don't like talking in like cliche. I'm just saying concretely, if you know these people are the enemies of your group and they don't value your life, then why would you base how you feel about life on them? And you know it's going to be difficult. And you know it's going to be hard. But the strength of it comes from the fact that you know that there's other black men that are saying, look, we don't care what they say. If, if, it, if need be, I'll leave the country. You can have America. I'm going to go talk to people in France. I'm going to go talk to people in Switzerland. I'm going to Africa. Black men have options. And there are people around the world interested in our story. And that story isn't about demonizing any other group of Black people. I'm not trying to reclaim some mystic masculinity. I'm saying that Black male experience matters to how we understand racism, white supremacy, and the ongoing logic of genocide. And what makes us feel better about that is that there are places in the world where our story can be heard. Where we matter because we're showing and disproving the same kind of arguments that black people were disproving back in the turn in of the 19th century and that matters right but it means that you have to give up the faith that people are going to recognize you because you're the good negro in the room
0: yeah.
2: and that's what we've been taught to do we've been taught to put on the suit to stay quiet to, to yes sir yeah miss saying that's a real good point you know i'm sure looking standpoint of epistemology i know you don't know a thing about race or racism but that was a really fine paper you gave there about feminism that I should probably incorporate because I'm a man in philosophy. I've, I've seen it all, man. I've seen, I've seen black men rush off to, to, to go get the dark liquor to deal with the stress of what it's like being in the company of all the white people in philosophy department. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, is that, they, that they're silent. Mm-hmm. I'm not. And it, you, have to, you have to figure out the balance. Do you wanna be a black man that white people say love and say, "Well, he show he's he's nice." He show is nice. He show is nice. Yeah. I remember the first time that I got the first job I got A and M. I was talking about the work of Charles Mills, and a colleague said, "You know, he's a real nice guy." When we were talking about him potentially e- evaluating the file, oh, he published an article in Ethics. White people like that. Never mind, this is a name professor at Northwestern. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is, you can play the game, you can oh, find yeah. validation, right? If you, if you want to go for how they recognize you, but they're never going to recognize you until you're an old man that they don't feel as a threat. Mm-hmm. Then they'll give you stuff because when you got old, your, your hair, and they know that our life spans only go to seventy. So don't give you a chair when you're sixty. Oh, we only got to deal with it for five or six years. But if you want to actually feel that validation and fight that feeling you have, it's going to require you to piss a lot of people off because what you're doing is you're rejecting what they told you that you are. And a lot of black men are scared of that. I talk to black men in philosophy and academy all the time, but they're scared of having to feel like only, the only value they have in the world is them dying, that the only way that good things are going to be said about them is when they're no longer here, that they're a symbol for somebody else's movement. And if you're never going to be loved by the world, then burn the world down. This is why they value white people. This is why they value white feminists. This is why they value BLM. But you're, one, you're the corpse that they're, that they're building the protest of. So it comes a realization, right? And this is what I talk about in the book is eschatological dilemmas. The, the reclamation of black male identity comes in the realization that we have to expand our now. And that means that we have to infuse what we're doing and our suffering with new kinds of values. That means that you're going to have to be unliked by a whole lot of people. But I'd much rather be hated and remember the history for being the first person to do something than to be somebody's damn boy. I come from Louisiana. That rings very differently for me. Mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I I appreciate it. I feel like you were speaking to me, but when you're speaking to me, you know, you're speaking to a lot of black boys. Um and, um and no, I think it's a good I like. I um I appreciate it. I really do. Um I think a lot, I think um a lot of people are afraid. Um a lot of people are scared and being, you know, the black demon, the black um the black devil that we are, um you can't even say that you're afraid, right? Um so first thing I thought when you said uh I talked about uh um of being um uh, about not being safe, about um being afraid of standing. Um, up for Black males. The first thing I thought is, I was like, oh, um, I can't say that. Like, no, I'm not afraid of that, right? Um, and so these are the things where it's like, even the ways that you um, were speaking really lends um, and focuses in on the Black male experience. Um, I really appreciate your response to that question. I really do. Um, We want to, we're going to, we are going to wrap it up because we've been, we've been recording for like an hour and a half now. Uh, We really appreciate the time that you, both of you have been willing to give. John and Tommy, thank you so much. Uh, This has been very informative um, and um, we hope uh, that others will uh, see it the same way. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Thank you both very much. Thank you.